We opened the service earlier by reading John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. 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 And we understand, and Bob said this on Wednesday night, and I thought it was so good. Biblical love gives. Love gives. Let me hear you say that. Love gives. Love gives. I want us to understand that here today because it's been said that one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. Gentleman by the name of J.H. Joette once said this, and listen to this as I read this quote, cheerful giving is born of love. Giving is the language of loving. Indeed, it has no other speech. God so loved the world that he gave. Love finds its very life in giving itself away. It's only pride and possession is the joy of surrender. Think about that. It's only pride and possession is the joy of surrender. If love has all things, it yet possesses nothing. We see the example of this joy of surrender in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 12, verse 2. You don't need to turn there. I think we have it for the screen. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, some translations say the perfecter of our faith, who for the what? joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy, cross, seem more or less maybe like an oxymoron, but not in God's world. The joy set before him, the joy of giving his life, the joy, cross. Our Lord and Savior set the example of the joy of giving. The Apostle Paul sets a great example for us throughout the New Testament, but we're going to zero in in Acts 20, and we're going to start in verse 17. But before we do, would you bow your heads and hearts with me? I want to pause, and I want to ask the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of his word that our spiritual ears and heart would be open to receive what God wants to say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have to come into this place and to open your holy word. And Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would pause and stop any sense of distraction in our minds and our hearts, even physically, Lord God, that there'd be a respect for your word and the walking around would be very minimal, Lord God, as we look to receive what you have for us today. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, that you would speak to me and through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before I read the text, I want to remind you that giving is the offering of something to God or others. Okay? Giving is the offering of something to God or others. It can be our time. It could be our treasure, which we're going to focus on today. It could be our talents. It could be our temple, which the Bible identifies as our bodies. It could even be our testimony. These are things that we can give to others that we can give to the Lord. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is giving his farewell address 
and he's exhorting the Ephesian elders. He's calling the elders together here, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. It says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Wow. So he knows in his spirit and his heart that chains and tribulation await him. The Lord communicated that to him. But look at one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, the next verse, verse 24. May this be our prayer as Christ followers. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with what? Joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all men. Maybe if you're okay writing in your Bibles, write Ezekiel 33. I don't have time to go there today, but there's an account that some of you may be familiar with, but it talks about the watchman on the wall. And it says, warn the people. And if you warn the people and they heed your warning, their blood is not on your hands. But if you keep your mouth shut, this is my translation here, and they die, their blood is on your hands. So you understand what Paul is saying here in verse 26. He's saying, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have shared the gospel with all of you. I am not accountable for your eternal souls. Think about that. Let that settle in for a moment. For I am not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, again, he's talking to elders here, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Three years, excuse me, the Apostle Paul spent there preaching the gospel. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among, excuse me, all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. If you go back to Acts 18, verse 3, we read how Paul was a tent maker. Paul worked hard 
physically labored to provide for his needs and also for others around them. And then here's our key verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. These are the words of the Lord that Paul's referring to. Most of your Bibles might put it in red ink because Jesus said these words. Now, I would say that in those several words that Jesus said, this is a great summary and really a great theology of New Testament giving, okay? Now, another word for blessed, this same word blessed in the Greek is markarios. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And he goes through. That's the same word. It, it's, it can be translated as happy or joyful. So realistically, we could say it is more joyful to give than to receive. Now, before we look at the pleasure or the joy of giving, I want to briefly share with you some principles of giving. And if you have outlines here, I believe there's eight that I put there in your outlines that I want you to fill in the blanks. And I encourage you, I'm going to read some of the scriptures here, follow along. But this is great devotional material for you to dig deeper this week. I encourage you to dive through the scriptures this week. But the first, giving ought to be done, number one, secretly or not for show. Look at the scriptures where Jesus says in Matthew 6, the first four verses, and we have them up on the screen Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet, Sam Green, before you as the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verses 3 and 4. But when you do a charitable deed... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in what? Secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Say, God sees everything. He sees everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He sees it all. And the Pharisees back then, we know, we don't have time to go through the Gospels, but Jesus said, you look so good. He called them whitewashed tombs, but their hearts were far from him. You're dead. You're doing all these good deeds. We know about the widow's might. And Luke, I believe it's Luke 21, the first few verses of Luke, where Jesus sees this rich Pharisee come up and put his collection in. And then this older lady come, this widow, and puts... Two copper coins were told not even worth one penny in, and he commends her. Because you see, it's not so much the portion or the amount that we give, it's the proportion that we give. Big difference. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But our giving ought to be, number one, secretly. Number two, if you're taking notes, sacrificially. Sacrificially. Turn to 2 Corinthians 8. Actually, I think we have it for the screen, so you can just follow along on the screen. 
Sacrificially, all three, the next three points are listed in this one text. Sacrificially, number three would be freely, and number four would be generously. So you can fill those in, okay? We ought to give sacrificially, freely, and generously. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Corinth here in 2 Corinthians 8. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that God and his kindness or his grace has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant what? Joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own what? Free will, freely. Jesus made this statement back in the day, Freely I have given, or freely you have received, freely given, right? This is the principle here. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You talk about a church that excelled in giving, this is that church. And Paul's, not Corinth, Paul's testifying of what took place in another city. He's challenging the church in Corinth because Corinth was very divisive. A lot of garbage going on in Corinth. You can read the first and second letter. Paul's trying to bring correction here. And he's testifying of this body of believers that knew what it meant to give. To give generously, to give freely, to give sacrificially. Paul's testifying to that. He's encouraging and challenging to this. Number five in your notes, cheerfully, cheerfully. We're going to talk a little bit further about this, but in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, the second half of that verse, we know that it said God loves a what? Cheerful giver. It doesn't say God loves a giver. For some reason, the Holy Spirit and his sovereignty meant to put that word in there before. Because as I said earlier, you can be a giver and not love as you give. But you can't love without giving. Let that sink in our hearts. Number six, willingly. Willingly. We've been in the New Testament so far, but I want to head back to Exodus chapter, excuse me, chapter 35, an Old Testament passage. The scripture is up on the screen. Look at this with me. Then everyone came, those or whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was what? Willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a what? Willing Willing heart. You see, Paul is just repeating a lot of principles that were set thousands of years ago. He talks about not giving reluctantly or out of compulsion, but willingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I should never have to apologize for giving anyone an opportunity to give. According to God's word. Pastor Pat should never have to apologize. I should never feel uncomfortable if I'm visiting a church or a ministry and there's an opportunity to give. Are you with me? If I can't give willingly, then I ought not give. Because God cares more about the attitude of my heart than the amount that I put in a plate. This is huge. This is huge. You can't leave yet, okay? Some of you are squirming. You can't leave yet. I got guards at every... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, God's word is good, even when it makes us feel uncomfortable. I'm telling you, some of you are going to be blessed by his word here today. Number seven in your outline, 
purposely. Again, looking at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Do we have that for the screen? It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Purposely. I want to encourage you as you prepare to come here week in and week out on a Sunday. Now, I don't have time to talk about the tithe, which literally means tenth part, and the offering and giving above and beyond. I see these three areas clearly talked about in the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But purposely, we ought to give purposely. I like to use the word intentionally, think through, have a plan. And number eight, I mentioned this earlier, proportionately. A big word, if you don't know how to spell it, I put it on the screen, I'll help you out. Proportionately. Deuteronomy 16, verse 17, A, says this. Again, back in the Old Testament, the principles were laid out earlier. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. Okay? You can't give what you don't have. Amen? You can't give what you have. Now, sister, I got no money, so I don't put anything in. Okay, do you have time? Is there a talent that God's given you? Okay, can you give of yourself physically to a work? Can you stock shelves at Mission Share? That's a little report there for me. I need some help. No, I'm just kidding. What can you do? Can anyone here testify to the goodness of God in their life? (laughs) If you're a believer, yes, all of you should say amen. We should. How will they know? The evangelist is coming out. Watch out unless someone tells them, right? So every one of us are capable of giving in many different areas of our life. Obviously, we're focusing here on our treasure or or more monetary giving. But let me get to the heart of the message here, number two, the pleasure of giving or what we call for this series, the joy of giving. I wanted to stick with P's to help me remember. That's why we're going with pleasure of giving. But What determines if giving is a joy or not? That's a good question for us to ask. What determines if giving is a joy or not? There's three words, M-A-P, that I have in your outlines. I want to kind of give you this map with three checkpoints. How many of you ever once pulled out a map? I know our new generation, but believe it or not, I know I look like I'm 25, but I actually remember going on vacations and being handed a map in the back seat and opening up a map to help my dad out get to where we're going because my mom just didn't want to do that. So we would do that. So I'm going to give you a map that will help gauge here where you're at And this whole joy of giving thought here today. The first word I want you to write down, or they're all there. Look, we gave you all three in one shot. So write them down, then pay attention. All right? (laughs) Motive, attitude, and plan. Okay? As I said earlier, the amount of money we give is not as important as why and how we give. And if you're filling in the blanks underneath the word motive, our motive should be love. Our motive should be love for everything that we do. But specifically, as we talk about giving and giving financially, our motive should be love, and it should be grace-giving, not guilt-giving. Write that down. 
How many of you have given out an obligation before? I'll be honest with you, I have. I visited churches, I'm sitting there, and the plate, and I'm like, man, you know, I mean, this road's kind of empty here. I got to put something in the plate. You know, they're staring at me, you know. God forbid they know I'm a pastor from Rochester, New York. All right, what do I got, you know? That's what God says. Are you kidding me? He says it. Oftentimes in the scripture, the attitude is wrong. You know, Proverbs 16, verse 2, I'm not sure if we have this for the screen or not, but it says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Another word would be, the Lord weighs the motives. See, God judges us by our motives, not on the outward. We could put that in there and go, wow, that guy gave $20, or that guy wrote a check, or whatever it is. God looks beyond that. He looks at the heart right? We see this principle throughout all of Scripture. What goes on on the inside of us is far more important than what goes on the outside of us. Maybe you need to write that down. What goes on on the inside of us is far more important than what goes on the outside of us. If you disagree with that, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, from within, come, and he lists some horrible sins. So if the inside It's corrupt. That's why we get what we get outwardly. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's not a language issue. It's a heart issue. When you commit sins, he lists thefts, stealing, fornication, adultery. He lists some horrible sins in Mark chapter 7. But he says that doesn't defile a man. It's what's going on here. We need the blood of Jesus Christ applied to our heart. We need the forgiveness of Jesus. We need God change my heart. And guess what? The outward will, will, will come and follow. Are you with me? So if giving is, is a challenge or you're struggling with this, start with your heart. Don't focus so much on an amount of money, but focus on an attitude of the heart. Okay? Is my motive because I love God. And I love the work of this ministry. I'm going to support it. You know, a little blurb on tithing here. I know that my time is short. But tithing, when it was instituted, it was instituted before the law, during the law, and after the law. We talk about this in our Welcome to the Team class. And I shared this a few weeks ago in our class. But the whole principle of tithing, you can read about it from the Old Testament all the way through, is so that God's storehouse, the house of God would be able to minister so the priests could do their duties. That's the whole principle of this. You see, tithing, if I could boldly say this, tithing is not giving. Tithing is returning because the tithe is the Lord's. Your offering above and beyond the tithe, that is giving. God says the tithe is his, a tenth part. It was, it was laid back early in scripture. So you get paid $100 to make it easy for those of you that struggle with math. $10 is the Lord's. And it says the first day of the week, you bring that tithe in. And you trust in this local assembly, it is not your responsibility. You trust the Lord that he gives the wisdom of this assembly leadership to use the finances to advance the kingdom of God. 
but it's to come to the storehouse. Is that where you're being fed? Is Greece Assembly where you're being fed? That's where you tithe. And then with the 90% that you have, you steward that. What does steward mean? You manage that and hopefully have a relationship with God to say, God, how do I manage this well? And maybe it's Mission Share Outreach Center. You're going to get a booklet on the way out today on the joy of getting, giving. Above and beyond the tithe, what do, what do you want me to do, Lord? And you're going to have opportunities to do that. But our motive should be love when it comes to giving. I love God and I love people. And, and our attitude should be cheerful. An attitude of gratitude, not grudgingly. The Apostle Paul, again, he says here in the scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, he says, not grudgingly or of necessity. Um, one translation says, not reluctantly or in response to pressure. You should never feel pressured. You ever hear those? You see those knuckleheads on TV, right? If you don't sow a seed of faith, you know, mm. And, you know, these ladies, you know, they're like, I don't know what to do. And they write out and they, you know, that's, that's garbage. Never. We should never have to give. You could be challenged to give. We have a thing that we call um, faith promise, if I'm saying it right. Carol, is that right? A faith promise, right? Because, see, really, and this is in your outlines here, our giving demonstrates what we love, if we're going to be honest. What our giving demonstrates what we love. It also demonstrates our level of faith. Do we trust God? Getting back to the tithe, you say, I can't afford to tithe. My perspective has now been in growing. I cannot afford to tithe. Because there's something that God does, and we're going to get to that at the end, when we honor him with what is his. And we know the famous scripture, Malachi 3. If you're not familiar with it, you could write this down. It's on the bottom of your outlines, Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. But this is God speaking to the prophet, to the people through the prophet. And he says, will a man rob God? It's the only time in all of scripture, and I have searched pretty diligently, where God tells people to test him. This is the only area. Try me. Test me. I'm getting in on tithing, the joy of giving. Let me bring it back. Roll me back in here. Okay, but this is the word of God. And it is good and it is true. You know the word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros. Does that sound funny? We get that English word hilarious. That's where it comes from. The same Greek word for cheerful is hilaros. And it sounds like that English word hilarious. And it's true. That's where we get this word. It describes the spirit of enjoyment and giving, willingly, cheerfully, without restraint. Not reluctantly, but cheerfully, not in response to pressure. When our motive is love and our attitude is gratitude, church, we're happy to give. We're happy to give. If our motive is love and we are thankful for Jesus, how many are thankful for Jesus, the grace of God in your life? that we do not get what we deserve. Or should I say, we get what we don't deserve. However you want to look at it. Grace and mercy, we need it both, don't we? We need the grace and the mercy of God. You see, there is deep joy in giving. Why? Two points, and they're not in your outlines. Number one, because one understands what God has given us in Christ. You see what we did earlier here? We, we came around the Lord's table. When you understand the sacrifice that was made, 
I use the word, it's not a duty. It's a what? Delight. It's not I got to. Oh, I got to put the tithe in. Man, I get to, God. I trust you with this. I'm not saying it's easy. Following the Lord at times is not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. But our motive, our attitude should be one of delight. You saw me. I shared a few scriptures. I could give you a ton more of trials and tribulations. But those that are mature in Christ, they press on. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. James, who was sawed in half, history records, opens his letter saying, consider it pure joy when you go through these trials and tribulations. He goes for it because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and that you may be mature and complete. He goes on to say as he opens his letter, you see, God doesn't promise that it's going to be easy, but he promises he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises in, in Philippians 4.19 where Paul says, my God shall supply all your need. All you need, God will provide. Do you believe that, church? And secondly, when one wants others to experience what he or she has found in Jesus, they're happy to give. They're happy to give. Are you happy to give to missions, local missions, foreign missions, when you realize the opportunity? Now, that girl I showed you earlier, I don't know if she professes to know Christ, but I can... I know, been around this church long enough, but if I said that this girl had a physical need and needed a piece of equipment that's cost $1,000, I know in my heart that we would do it like that. I just know that because I've been around most of you for a while. But sometimes God tells us to do something that's not that easy, right? It's not that easy. And let me break away from the money for a moment. Let me talk about some of these other things like time or talents. You know, I believe possibly that some of you, you are gifted in in ways that God wants to use and you feel that your talent has been dormant for years and you're going, I'm no, I don't even know if I can do this anymore. The spirit of the Lord would say to you here today, I'm not done with you, my child. Possibly, in a moment, God will raise that up and use that for his honor and glory. It could be a skills trade. It could be a a music, arts type of a gift or ability. You know, I always tell people, I don't really have any gifts. I never thought I'd ever preach, ever. Matter of fact, being a pastor's kid up until I was 16 years old, I said, I'm proving my whole church family wrong. I will not be what my dad is. Stubborn like Pastor Bob was, except I didn't grow up here. I grew up in New Jersey. And what does God say? Oh, (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, he has no idea. And here I am. I, the only thing I like to do and was decent at, as many of you know, is, is play a game called basketball. And it's funny how God takes the desires and some of the things that we're good at, as silly as the game of basketball is to probably 90% of you, but God has used that for me, a channel for me to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only here in Greece, but we were able a year ago to go to Nicaragua, and God used the love that I have for basketball that was no longer an idol in my life to share the gospel with lots of little boys and girls. 
that they wanted to come to learn how to dribble, how to shoot a basket, but we gave them Jesus after we told them those principles. That's what it's all about. That's the joy of giving. The joy of giving is not a duty, it's a delight. Giving is not a duty, it's a light. It's a joy when our attitude is love, or when our attitude is cheerful, when our motive is love. And the last thing I want to say as I prepare to close, the P there is plan. Why do I say that? You have that map, right? You have your checkpoints, you plan your route out, okay? Your motive should be love, your attitude should be cheerful. But I would encourage you, on your way out today, we're going to give you a booklet, and those of you that have been here in years past are familiar with this, it says right on the front, 2018, Joy of Giving. And in this booklet, there are many ministries, one being Mission Share Outreach Center, which you saw the video on earlier, but we also do something called um, Operation Greece Police, where we're going to be adopting all of our police officers and praying for them for the next calendar year, the Father's Heart. And I'm not going to take the time to go through them, but I would encourage you, families, as you take a booklet and go home, Pray. God, what would you have us do? What would you have us support? I know our time is ticking, but I want to end with this wonderful passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles 29. You say, where in the world is that? Just start heading left in your Bible. Just keep going and going and going or, or go to the tab there. But I'm going to have the key verse, I believe, up on the screen here, verse 3. I talked about the tithe and the offering. Here's a portion of scripture. This is above and beyond the tithe and offering. To set the scene real quick for you, King David, all right, they're building the temple. And it says, King David, this is so critical here, and I want you to get this. Moreover, because I, this is the King David, have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God. Over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. There's so much here. This is a whole sermon in itself, but I want you to take a couple things away from this verse. And the first is this. Notice that he says, I set my what? Affection on the house of God. My question to you is where have you set your affections? You see, because wherever you set your affections, church, your relationships and your resources will go there. Jesus made a statement in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The principles laid out. Where are your affections? King David said in this verse, he was giving above and beyond. And if we look at verse 29, just six verses later, and I don't know if I put that in there or not, but it says this, then the people rejoice. So David set his affections on the house of God, okay? So he had no issues by giving above and beyond financially. To try to bring this down to a modern day perspective, if we were going to give through a building program or something, and you just believed in the vision of Greece Assembly and so forth. And this isn't a pitch. This is just practical. I want you to get this. But you're saying, I know. I, I, I just believe that what they're doing is to reach people with the gospel. 
So above and beyond my tithe and offering, I'm going to give. David, as the leader, said, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. And then in verse 9 of chapter 29, it says, The people rejoiced, for they offered willingly. Because with a loyal heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. There was a party. Do you know how sometimes capital campaigns could be so divisive for churches? Where there's talk about giving, and we don't talk about giving much, you know that. This joy of giving, this is just something that God has led the leadership to provide you an opportunity to pick a local ministry, and one in Haiti where we're looking to support, and just say, hey, there should be no pressure. There is no pressure from the leadership. None of the pastors goes into our database and says, oh, I wonder what the Smith family gave. And we, we, we don't do any of that here. That's between you and God. But to me, I would want an opportunity as a follower of Christ to give to something that's worth giving for. Would you? So on your way out today, you're going to get a booklet. And we encourage you over the next few weeks to pray. Come up with a plan. Maybe you can come up with a plan as a family. Single adult, you say, you know what? I have this budgeted for Christmas or whatever it is. I'm going to take a portion and I'm going to give it towards this. You know, church in heaven, we will be rewarded for what we gave, not what we received here on earth. You know that? I end with promises from giving. It's just one line in your outlines. It's there. Blessings or rewards from our Father and a rebuking of the devourer, devil. I'd encourage you to read Malachi 3. You know, God is on our side when we honor him with our finances. I have experienced, and I don't have time to get into it today, but literally I have experienced before my eyes God rebuking the enemy from situations in my life, physical things, monetarily things, as I've honored him with my finances. I've seen it. I could tell you stories after stories racing through my mind. The Bible says in John 10, 10, that the enemy, the thief, comes to steal. Take, 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 take. But Jesus comes to give. I have come that you may have life. I've come to give and life more abundantly. As I went into my barber shop yesterday to get a haircut, he always asked me, what are you up to today? So what I said is I was getting down a chair, I'm getting ready to write a sermon on the joy of giving. It just froze. Really? I said, yeah, you know, it should be fun, you know, giving money. He goes, ah, just tell him this. If you're a giver, people love you. If you're a taker, people hate you. I said, Joe, do you mind if I open up my message with that tomorrow? He said, really? I didn't open with it, but I'm going to close with it. You see? But there's a lot of truth because Joe doesn't know Christ. I've shared the gospel with him on a couple of occasions. But church, that's a secular point of view. A secular means without God, void of God, okay? Look at what the world looks at. They think giving, you know, you're welcome. Take, people just don't want. They're always taking from me, right? What a testimony. You know an oxymoron, and I promise for the fifth time I'm going to close because my time is up. They're going to bring the hook out. But an oxymoron is a stingy Christian or a greedy Christian. That's an oxymoron. 
We should be the most giving people on the planet. I don't care if you've got $2 in your bank account. And we should give joyfully and cheerfully because all that God has given us. Amen? Would you join me standing? Ask yourself as we close, is giving a joy? Most think negatively about giving rather than trying to appreciate the joy of giving. But by God's grace, I pray that you leave here with a new appreciation, a new joy in your heart to give, that you take the booklets home and you say, God, what can we do as a family? What can I do as an individual to advance your kingdom and pray over that need and pray that God would lead you in giving? Maybe you're here today. I never want to end a message without giving you an opportunity for anyone that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to receive the greatest gift you can ever receive, and that's the forgiveness of your sins. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment, is there anyone here that says, Dan, I don't know if I was to die that I would go to heaven. I don't know if I would spend eternity in heaven. And would you pray for me? Would you tell me how to be forgiven? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's by confessing your sins and saying, I can't save myself. I need the one who died on the cross to forgive me my sin. If you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, just raise a hand. I want to pray for you before I close. Anyone at all? Between you and God, the hand being raised is just so I can pray specifically for you. Anyone at all? I'm not going to linger here. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm going to encourage you to come and see me at the end of the service so I can pray personally with you. But maybe you're here as a follower of Christ and you say, you know, Dan, I don't know if I'm this giver that the Bible talks about here. I, I, I need God to change me. Just in a moment, as the worship team leads us in this chorus, would you just make it right with God? Change my heart, God. Make it true. May I be a giver like you tell me to give. And, and, and just move forward in the grace and the power of God today. You see, God is bigger than any of our circumstances, and he will not ask you to give something that you cannot give. But what he puts his finger on in your life, I encourage you, respond in obedience. Let's end with this chorus today. Then Pastor Ken is going to give the benediction. But let's worship the Lord and join the team in this closing song.